It goes like this. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And that's why pastors dress up on Easter, amen? (laughs) And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. I have the great privilege of representing the elders of the church, the members of the church, those who call this church their home. I have, I have the privilege of representing Jesus and the Father in heaven and the Holy Spirit to declare and to proclaim to you that Jesus Christ is risen. And that is a powerful thing. And I'm going to pray, and we're going to talk about how powerful that is. But let us rejoice as we proclaim the centrality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me pray. God, our Father in heaven, we thank you for sending your Son. He identifies with us in our suffering. He identifies with us in our sin and our brokenness and our imperfections. He identifies with us in our decay and takes all of that upon himself on the cross to remove it. But then on the third day, he was raised for our new life so that we might become a new people, a new community, a new kingdom. And I pray for all of us believers that we would just be absolutely encouraged this morning by the message of the resurrection. And for those who are investigating and still doubtful, Lord, I pray that you would give them insight, that you would enlighten the eyes of their hearts, that they might know the incomparable power, that your great power at work, which raised Jesus from the dead, and that they might believe and that they too might experience something of new life. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. When I was growing up, I, uh, you know, I was was a pretty rebellious kid, and uh, when I was a teenager, I I had the vocabulary of about 250 words, you know what I mean? And, uh, and a lot of those 250, 251 words were like four-letter words, you know what I mean? And one of those four-letter words, let me tell it to you, uh, one of those four-letter words was dude. I said that D word all the time, dude, you know? And I remember going to church and like, dude, you know? And whenever Easter came around and, and we talked about the resurrection and Everybody got all dressed up, you know. I mean, dude, whatever. And I remember thinking that a lot of the sermons that I heard 
was kind of about trying to prove that the resurrection happened, right? Like the sermon was like, can we prove absolutely that Jesus defeated death? So all this scientific arguments and evidences was, was marshaled up to the pulpit to kind of prove to unbelievers that Jesus Christ really was dead. He really was buried and he really did rise from the dead. And we all said amen, as we rightly should, because the resurrection is a historic fact. Jesus Christ is risen. And, and there's evidences from 1 Corinthians 15 where, where, where Paul is, is trying to convince the Corinthians, yes, Jesus is risen. And he talks about how Jesus appeared to people. And we remember the doubting Thomas, like Thomas was like, you know, Jesus like walked into the room, right? And he had been dead and, and, and he walks into the room and you know what Thomas said? Let me translate the Greek for you. He said, dude. <laughs> and Jesus said, I want you to put your finger in my side and I want you to feel that this is real. Like I'm not some ghost or aberration or you didn't have some bad, you know, shrooms on your whatever, pita bread. Like this is real. And Jesus sat down and he ate food with with the disciples so that they would really realize like this is not some kind of trickery. He really is risen. But even if we were to prove, I mean, even if you were to prove to me or I were to prove to you that Jesus Christ is risen, the question remains, dude, so what? 2,000 years ago, a guy dies and he rose again. Lazarus came back from the dead. It says that when Jesus died on the cross, that, 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 that people came back from the dead that, that day. People have been raised. Elijah flew away on a chariot. He never even died. He just went right up into heaven. And about all of these, we, we could say, so what? Like, can we go now? Because I've got like a really great lunch plan today. What is the application and the meaning of the resurrection? So what? What difference does it make? What are we to say? How are we to interpret this resurrection? And for Christians, resurrection is not only a historic fact, it's a way of life. It's a way we think. And that's what I want to describe for you. And I want to take you to a passage that outlines some reasons, the so what. Or if you're like, dude, go to 1 Peter chapter 1 in the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to take you to one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible, 1 Peter chapter 1. And when you go to 1 Peter, you have to realize that the New Testament is composed of a lot of letters. And these letters were written to Christian churches. And in 1 Peter, Peter is writing to a group of churches that are going through severe suffering. If you, if you could write out up at the top of your Bible, you could write just suffering. And if you're going through suffering, or if you're going through trials, or if you're going through testing, or if something has happened to you in your life that's causing you to doubt God, or doubt your faith, or, or discouraging you in your faith, listen, if you're in the vortex of life, First Peter is the place to go, I'm just telling you. 
Peter tells these churches exactly what they need to hear in the midst of their suffering. And one of the first things he says is he says, listen, no matter how bad it is, no matter what you're going through, no matter what the trial is, the main thing is we need to praise God. We need to praise God. And you know, sometimes, I know when I'm going through bad times, I just need somebody to kind of slap me around and go, you know what, you just need to stand up and praise God right now. Have you ever been like that? Man, I just need to praise God. And that's what Peter does. And and Peter's like, listen, here's how you praise God. This is why you praise God. And look at verse 3, and let me read verses 3 and 4, and you'll see the resurrection in here. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven For you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. When we ask ourselves, what, you know, resurrection, so what? There are several so what answers to the resurrection in this passage. Number one, there is the resurrection power for new life for you and I. The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the power that is at work in our hearts. You can see it there. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's what we believe about human beings. When we're born into this world, we're born physically, but we're born dead spiritually. We are not alive to God. Now, we're alive to a lot of things when we're born. We're, we're, we're alive to the need to be fed. We're alive to the need to grow. We're alive to the need for, for companionship, for mom and dad, and later on for husbands and wives and for children and for friends and for community. We're alive to a lot of things. But when you and I are born, we are born spiritually dead. That means we have no sense, no taste for God. And you know, when you talk to a spiritually dead person about God, you know what happens? It's like talking to a dead person. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like taking a, 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 the art of Van Gogh and saying, look at how great this art is to a blind person. Or it's like taking your favorite music and say, hey, listen to this great music to a deaf person. You see, when you're talking to somebody who's spiritually dead and not alive to God like they are to a a bookstore or like they are to a nice home or like they are to books or like they are to... Notice how I brought books up twice. Uh, When we're not alive to God like all those other things, that's because we are spiritually dead. And there's nothing... You could try to convince a spiritually dead person with... You could marshal all the facts and all the Bible verses and say, no, 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 look at the theory of Christianity and look at the greatness of Christianity. Look at the glory of God. And a spiritually dead person cannot see. They cannot taste. You might as well give them a book about honey. But until they taste honey, they can't say, man, that's really sweet. Spiritually, we can't taste... God and his goodness. You know how the Bible says, taste and see that God is good. Before I had Christ in my life, I could not taste. All I could say was, dude, 
all I could say. I have this high school student who comes by my office all the time. We started scheduling our appointments. He used to show up just randomly and, like, just plop down in my office and start talking to me. You know what I mean? He put up his feet on my desk, and we talk. And and he's always giving me these weird facts that I never knew. Now, here's a weird fact that maybe you, I'm sure this is common knowledge, but you know me. I don't know very much. And and, and one of the weird facts he told me one day is he he came into my office, he sat down, and he said, Did you know that if you hold your nose... And then eat food or drink a Coca-Cola Classic. You can't taste it because your nose has to be working in order to taste the food you eat or to taste the drink. Now, how many of y'all knew that? Common knowledge. (laughs) Dumb illustration. You and I can't know what life is really about until God lifts our spiritual smell, so that we can taste. Now, when you ask, what does it mean to be born again? That's what it means to be born again. Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus. Jesus said in John 3, 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see. You could put in there, taste, appreciate, love, want. Desire, find pleasure in the kingdom of God. And listen to what Nicodemus is so confused. He's a religious guy, right? And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Like he's so confused. But let's say that was somehow rational, which it's not. Let's say you could reverse, go back into your mother's womb and do it all again. You would still be born in the same condition. You would be born spiritually dead. Now, beloved, that's where the resurrection comes in. Because when Jesus defeated death, he not only defeated the real death, he defeated the potential for us to never come spiritually alive. And the Bible says that God applies resurrection power to our hearts and he causes us to be born again so that you and I can enjoy a relationship with God. So that you and I can have a new taste, a new life, be new creations through Jesus Christ. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. In verse 4 it says, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That phrase made alive means causing us to be born again. Goes on to say, and raised him, raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Hmm. And that's Peter's great contribution to this idea of being born again. When you go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What happened to Jesus historically can happen to us spiritually. You and I can come alive. The Bible says in Paul talks to the church in Corinth, and they're just learning their faith. And Paul tells them in a letter, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 
In verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In other words, spiritually, we were buried. We were in the tomb. Spiritually, we were completely dead towards God. But in Christ Jesus, we become new creations. We come out of the tomb. And the old, past, dead spiritual life is behind us. And ahead of us is a whole new life and a new appreciation for God. And that's what happened in me. You know, my dudes got turned into my dude. See what I mean? Glory, praise, honor to God. I I came alive to God because he caused me to be born again. And here's the challenge for you. The challenge for you is, are you willing to believe in Jesus Christ? Are you willing to believe that he died for you? Are you willing to believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead? Are you willing to walk by faith? I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. The Father has caused me to be born again. I am appreciating the love of God and the mercy of God for me. I am appreciating a relationship with God. When you can begin to appreciate a relationship with God, that's when you know. When you can believe in Jesus, that's when you know. This resurrection, so what? Our answer is, The resurrection points to power for new life. But here's the second thing Peter points to. Resurrection promises heaven for all believers. Resurrection has the promise for heaven for all believers. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 1 and listen to this. This is great. Now, he says, according to his great, verse 3, according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, if I could make you do it, which I can't do it, but if I could make you do it, I would make you circle heaven. I would make you circle inheritance. And note that God's power guards this promise. The promise of heaven is guarded by God through faith, not through works, but through faith this is guarded for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, this is incredibly relevant. Resurrection promises heaven. Resurrection promises heaven. And you know what? That's really important, isn't it? You know, the people that have done the most things in this world have believed in heaven. But it's also important when we're suffering. And in this world, you're going to suffer. Jesus said in John 16, In this world, you will experience tribulation, but fear not, for I have overcome the world. And the promise for you and I, we get to live in light of the idea that you and I, through Christ, are going to heaven. Jesus is raised. He went to heaven, and he's preparing a place for you and I so that when you and I die, if we're believers in Jesus, we will go to heaven and be with Jesus. That's very important. The resurrection points to that. And heaven is a glorious place. Revelation chapter 21 talks about heaven. Let me read a passage about heaven from Revelation chapter 21 verses 3 and following. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. That's a great place for an amen. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And also he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Heaven, baby. And Peter is saying, listen, when we see the resurrection of Jesus, we see the promise of heaven for all who believe in Jesus. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, even though he dies, he will live forever and ever. Amen. And I might die tomorrow, I might die next week, or I might die 50 years from now. But either way, when I die, I'm going to pass from this body and I'm going to be present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, 6. When I die, I'm going to go be with Jesus. And then when Jesus comes back, he's going to give me a resurrection and I'm going to live with him in his kingdom forever and ever. Resurrection promise of heaven. And I'll be honest with you. I don't need some little kid to have some little dream about heaven and to tell me that it's real. Do you know that? I don't need popular culture and sentimental stories. And, oh, there was a little boy and he went to heaven and that was real. Like, dude, all I need is the resurrection of Jesus. That was enough. When that tomb was empty, that was enough. I don't need a movie to help me to get fired up about heaven or to believe in heaven. All I need is faith in the risen Christ. And, and Peter says, listen, no matter what you're going through, no matter what your pain, no matter what your persecution, no matter what your trials, it doesn't matter. This world can take our life from us, but we're still going to go to heaven. And you know what? You and I, we've lost people in our life, haven't we? We all have. We all have sad stories where we've lost people, some through tragedy, some through natural causes, and it never gets easier. But listen, the promise of heaven gives us the ability to grieve with hope, knowing that those who die in Christ will be in heaven, and we will, we will join them. You know why we get sad when we go through loss. We get sad because we're not going to be with them for a while. It's kind of like when you send your kid off to college and you're not going to see him for a while. I know nothing about that. My children are personally never going to leave, but... But you see, we grieve as Christians, not grieving, saying, oh, I'm never going to see him again, or I'm never gonna, it's never going to happen again. We grieve saying, you know what, I'm not going to be with them for a while. And that's a bummer. And God wants us to mourn that. But one day we'll be reunited. You say, what about the people who don't believe in Jesus? Well, there's an antithesis. There's an opposite. There's a polar opposite to heaven, and it's called hell. And, the, and everyone is going to experience resurrection. Everybody will be raised. And those who believe in Christ and who are written in the, in the Lamb's book of life will go to heaven. And those who are not will not go to heaven. They'll be eternally separated from God. But you see, when we get to heaven, we're going to be so happy with all the decisions that God makes. It's not like we're going to go be like, man, I'm really disappointed that God didn't let her in or him in. We're going to be so happy in Christ. There'll be no mourning, no sorrow. We'll know that God is perfectly just. And so even then, there's deep hope. 
But we should remember as believers, we need to share the message of the resurrection. You see, everybody is experiencing the misery of being spiritually dead, and everybody is experiencing the misery of not having future assurance, not having that living hope, not having that promise of heaven and living with Jesus forever. Now, now here's the last thing I want to say about heaven. Can I just say this? Heaven is not a consolation. It's, it's not like, it, you know, I hear this all the time. You know, I've been a pastor. I've done funerals and stuff. And it's not like people are like, well, at least she's in heaven. Like, dude, she is doing so much better than you right now. Like, she's living large. And you're living small. We are exiles and foreigners in this world. We are here to serve each other, love our neighbor, worship God. But let me tell you something. This is a shadow of the substance of heaven. Heaven is not a consolation. It is a restoration of the life you've always wanted. It is a community where we will live and learn without sin. We will love each other. Can you imagine loving each other without sin? The only love I know that's happening without sin is my love for Sherry. But outside of that... Can you imagine friendship and community and church and worshiping Jesus without the distraction of human decay? Can you imagine this? And that's what it's like. Can you imagine life without worrying about sickness or death or what's going to happen next week or, or where, where's the money going to come to pay the bills? Like everything's provided. Do you know that when we get to heaven, you can't even say, I hope you have a good day because every day is good in heaven. That is the power of the resurrection of Jesus. And there's no other message in the world that offers this to humanity. Heaven. We have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is why he is risen is a way of life. And you know it changes you. When you live in light of heaven, it changes you. It changes the decisions you make changes how you feel about life when things don't go your way. You know what I'm saying? Like when I'm living in light of heaven, you know, I mean, a new car would be great for me right now. I'll be honest with you. But it's not. It is not the basis of my happiness. A bigger house. I've got four daughters. That'd be kind of nice. A house without, you know, a ceiling that has decayed would be really great. And if God, ever, oh, if God ever gives me a living room without a jacked up ceiling, yes. But it's not the basis of my joy. The basis of my joy is the resurrection of Jesus and the hope of heaven. This is resurrection, so what? Resurrection is the power for new life. Resurrection is the promise of heaven. And then finally... Resurrection is the perspective that we need for suffering. Resurrection is the perspective that we need for suffering. In fact, resurrection turns our sufferings into joys. You're like, this man is talking like a crazy man. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and following. He says this. He's talked about heaven, and man, this is great. And you can almost hear these churches getting fired up about heaven. And then in verse 6, he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, 
more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Literally, he is telling these Christians to rejoice. Everybody say rejoice. Rejoice in their various trials and sufferings. That's hard to do. And, and, And by the way, every kind of trial or suffering is included. It says various you could circle that word various. That word literally means many colored. It's like, what's the color of your suffering today? What's the color of your pain? What's the color of the thing that is the burden for you? Is it red? Burning? Is it blue? Depressing? Is it gray? It doesn't matter how severe. And Peter is telling these churches that are going through many colored sufferings. He's like, listen, the resurrection means that if possible, God will take all of our pain and all of our suffering And he will increase our ultimate joy and glory in heaven. In fact, our sufferings here will make heaven there better. Everybody say better. Better. Because what's going to happen is, Jesus says at the revelation of Jesus. So he's risen. He's gone up to heaven. And he's coming back. And when he comes back, because of our suffering in this world, we're going to be like, yes. Yes. Come, Lord Jesus. We're going to see him coming on the horse. We're going to be like. I want to be out of this world. I don't have anything to do with this world. I have nothing left to negotiate with this world. I'm so glad that Jesus is coming. And when we see him and we go to live with him, we'll be like, this is infinitely better than the pain I experienced in that life. This is infinitely better than all the disappointments that I've experienced. In fact, it's so infinitely good. If possible, God has changed all of my sadness into joy. That's what Peter's saying. Think about it. Think about the other. Think about the opposite thing. What if you and I never went through trials? What if you and I never suffered? What if we never lost a job? What if no, what if nobody ever let us down? What if our pastor was absolutely 100% perfect? What if the elders were like the most glorious spiritual people? They levitated as they floated around all the time. What if all of us Christians were so godly, so holy, so perfect? And our church, what if it was like the church that we never had anything negative to say about it? What if that happened? And then Jesus would come back, and you know what we would say to Jesus? I don't know. What what are you coming for? Like, I'm enjoying this. This is a good gig. I don't need you to come back. I like it here on earth. American Christianity is trying to give you your best life now. Dude, your best life will never be now until heaven comes, until the kingdom comes. Amen? Christianity is trying to make every day be like Friday. What a bunch of poppycock and boulder dash. Every day will not be Friday until Jesus comes back and God uses, if necessary, trials and sufferings in our life to remind us this world isn't all it's cracked up to be. 
People are not all they're cracked up to be. (laughs) That's the power of resurrection. Resurrection gives us perspective. See? Resurrection gives us the ability to look at life and say, you know what? It's not complete until I'm raised at the last time, until I go to heaven. And what that means is is that my life here on earth from now until Jesus comes exists for Jesus and his purposes, exists for God and his purposes. I am now left on earth for divine purposes. To live is Christ. To live is to do what he wants me to do. And to die is gain. And when I die and you come to my funeral, listen, I want you to know I am doing a lot better than I was here. And when Jesus comes and we live together again in heaven, it will be a lot better than here. Yesterday was April 19th. And April 19th marks the 19th anniversary of the Oklahoma City bombing. I always think about that bombing, April 19th. One of the saddest things that's happened to me personally. Because I lived in Oklahoma City when it happened, and my church was right next door to the Murrah building. And when that Murrah building blew up, my church blew up. When that building exploded, that church where I met Jesus exploded. And I remember because it was, it was right after Easter when that bombing happened. It was the week right after Easter. And that Easter Sunday was the greatest Easter Sunday I think I've ever experienced for my life. I don't know if I remember it like that for sentimental reasons. But it just seems like I remember walking out of that Sunday service and people got saved. And it was just like this amazing sermon and, 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 and this great moment. We walked out there. Jesus is risen. I mean, we're pumping our fist and high-fiving and hammer-swinging with Jesus. Amen? And then, boom. And the foyer was the only thing left still standing with that church. And when they grabbed the dead bodies, they took them to the foyer of our church. Our church became a grave. That's called a trial, isn't it? That's when a church has to go, wait a minute now, what do I really believe? (laughs) What is, like, dude, what do I really believe? And we all had to come together as a church in another location. And we had to say, Jesus is risen and we had to say heaven is for real and we had to say that God uses even the bad stuff God uses for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes and that is a difficult thing to say sometimes but that's what the resurrection tells us to say And when we get to heaven and to glory, there'll be no more bombings. There'll be no more destruction. And we'll realize how great God's kingdom is. And we'll realize how empty and impoverished this world is. That is the Christian faith. Now with the time I have left, knowing 
that resurrection power is for new life, resurrection promise for heaven, resurrection perspective for pain and suffering. You say, what's the, what's the applications? What can I take home with me? Let me give you some Easter gifts, some Resurrection Sunday gifts, all right? Let me fill your basket with some good application. Number one, have an ongoing relationship with Jesus, not a religion with Jesus. Look at verse 8, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. It says, though you have not seen him, you, what? Love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Did you know that the risen Christ is with all those who believe in him? He's with us. And we can love him, and we can have a relationship with him, and we can talk to him, and we can pray to him, and we can hear from him. Are you, are you talking to Jesus? Are you having a conversation with Jesus? Are you allowing him to talk to you through this word? And are you loving him even though you don't see him? Jesus told Thomas, <laughs> you believe because you see, but blessed are all those who believe even when they don't see Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Now, skipping down to verse 13, let me give you the other application. And the other application is, first one is relationship with Jesus. Second one is prepare your minds. Look at this, verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, that that phrase, preparing your minds for actions, literally means girding up the loins of your mind. I remember when I was in seventh grade, it might surprise you to know, I was kind of a little guy. And I decided to go out for football, you know what I mean? Because I was tough. I had that kind of little guy mentality. I was a scrapper. I still am a little bit. And I remember I showed up, and the equipment manager gave me my football uniform. And he did two things to me that was really evil. Number one, the pants were a little too big, and he forgot to give me the belt. So I go to my first practice, and the coach has us run around the football field three times, right? And I don't realize. I, like, put it on. I'm like, oh, I look good. My shoulder pads. I got my pants on. I got my, I got my pads, you know, and I felt all tough and good and everything. And I'm this little guy. I mean, I'm like this, and everybody else is like this, right? And I got these pants that are too big, and I don't have a belt on. And I start running, and I realize <laughs> it starts. I would demonstrate, but I won't. <laughs> Amen. He is risen. He's real. Okay. And and I was running around and I mean I just felt like a fool cuz I was just was, you know I'm just running around holding my pants up and I felt like an a dumb guy. And you know I think as Christians our minds are sloppy. We don't belt up how we think about this world. You know what I mean? And what Peter's saying is, dude, you need, to, you need to put the belt on your mind and tighten it up so it's not loose. You need to think and prepare your minds and be sober thinking because this world is going to hurt. Everybody say hurt. You're going to go through tribulation. This world will not come through on its promises for you. You will get the new thing and want another new thing. 
And just because you have Jesus doesn't mean all of life is just going to fall into place. You've got to prepare your mind for a world that's going to hurt. And you prepare your mind and your sober thinking in this reality. Jesus is risen. He's given me new life. He's preparing me to live with him in in the kingdom of heaven. And I will be sober-minded and not overthink or underthink. I won't be sloppy in the way I think about life and circumstances. Don't be sloppy. Think through your life. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Set your your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. Have a relationship with Jesus. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? I want to invite you to have that relationship, to love him and be loved by him. And the second thing is to prepare your mind. Don't set your hope on things in this world. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be given to you at the revelation of Jesus. He is risen. Resurrection thinking is Christian thinking. Resurrection thinking is a way of life. We're changed by thinking through life with the resurrection. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are risen, that you are with us. This world reminds us all the time, through various trials, this world reminds us that we really did need you to come. We needed you to identify with our suffering, and we needed you to defeat death. We needed the joy that's not dependent upon the circumstances of life. A joy that's not dependent upon the crowds of this world, but a joy that's dependent upon the Christ who defeated death. If you are not a believer today, I want to invite you right now. Cross the line of faith. Is this world so good? (laughs) Is the way that everybody's thinking about life around you, is that really good enough? Is that really satisfying? Or have you seen it for what it is, empty, bankrupt? You can have a big home and it be a prison. You can have great things and still have a sick heart. And Jesus says, come to me. I will take care of you. Believe. Believe in Jesus. Believe he died for your sins. Believe he rose again from the dead. And when you ask yourself, what, what is the resurrection? It's your new life. Believe that heaven is not a consolation, but a restoration of the life you've always wanted. Become a servant of God in this world. Become a follower and a student of Jesus in this world. Use your job and your family and your home and your resources. Use all of that to reflect God's glory. Be a servant. Live for divine purposes. But the first step is to believe in Jesus. And the way you do that is you say something like this. You say, Lord Jesus, I am more sinful than I thought. But you love me far more than I could have imagined. I believe you died for me in my place. I believe you defeated death for my new life. Be my savior. Come into my life. 
you can pray something like that, just call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And the first thing after that is to tell somebody. You could tell me, you could tell a friend, but share with somebody that you've crossed the line of faith. Make it official. Make it an announcement. We have announcements for weddings and we have announcements for graduations. Make an announcement. Your life has changed. The old has passed away. The new has come. You are a Christian. You are a believer. We have a baptism service in May. And get baptized to, to show outwardly what's happened to you inwardly. Believe in Jesus. And for the rest of us as believers, let's set our hope fully on the grace that is to be revealed to us at the revelation of Jesus. Let's be sober in our thinking about life. Let's prepare our mind. Let's put a belt on the way we're thinking and tighten it up a little bit. Let's be believers and not doubters. Let's, let's, let's be hopeful, not despairing. Let us grieve with hope. Let's stand and worship as we close, as we celebrate this life of resurrection. What a privilege it is to be with you. And may God bless you.